I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is How Story Works. All right, we've been through a huge run of very heavy stuff to talk about, so I want to take a moment to talk about something simple, but which can cause a lot of confusion. We're going to talk about narrative units. There's a lot of narrative language flying around, especially once we get into structure. Scenes, acts, episodes, series, beats. And today, we're going to focus on beats. Seriously, writers use the word beat for everything. Writers do that. Writers who should, more than any other group of people, be aware of, you know, how they use the language. But the thing is, what's done is done, and I can't change it. I could rename all the different references for beats, but that won't stop them from being an active usage, so I'm going to cover that too just to clear up some of the confusion. So let's do this thing. Let's talk about beats. I hate when people start a paragraph with Webster's Dictionary defines X as because it's simultaneously pretentious and inane, but there are so many different definitions for beat that I feel somewhat compelled to start there with the definition, or should I say definitions. There is a violent beating one person can give to another. You can whip an egg, also known as beating, a pulsation of the heart, a neighborhood covered by a police officer, a subject covered by a reporter. Jesus, if the word beat was a high school girl, she'd be the one that everyone asked to prom, which would make me, hmm, probably absquatulate. A rarely used word that has only one meaning, to leave abruptly. That sounds a lot like my high school years. That's me. I'm absquatulate. I'm okay with that. Okay, back to beats, though. It's a word with a lot of meanings, and a lot of meanings just within writing terminology. We're going to focus on beats for today and then refer back to beats next time when we talk about final narrative units. So some of the most common usages of beats in writing terminology are three beat, beat meaning a pause in dialogue, a beat sheet, which is like a narrative rundown of the story, and the beat, meaning the smallest narrative unit. That's the beat we're going to be concerned with, but I want to clear the others out first. We'll start with a three beat. If you've listened to my narrative criticism at all, then you're probably familiar with this idea. It's when a story hits the same note three times, but in different ways that reflect the progression of the larger story. First, you establish the thing. Second, you reinforce the thing. Third, you subvert the thing. This is a bit of a tangent, but one beautiful example of a perfectly executed three-beat comes from the movie Whip It. In the movie, there's a whole big story going on with Ellen Page's characters secretly going out for roller derby while her mother wants her to do pageants. The three-beat happens in the background with her father, Earl, and their neighbor, Ronnie. Earl has two daughters who do pageants. Ronnie has two sons who play football. The first moment is early in the story. Ronnie's boys are playing football in their yard. Earl's arms are full of pageant dresses. The football sails into Earl's yard, but his arms are too full to throw it back, so he kicks it back. The two men nod at each other. Earl. Ronnie. In the middle of the story, we see Ronnie out in his yard pounding in wooden yard signs with his son's football jersey numbers on them. Earl is in his yard, pounding in wooden tiaras with the names of his daughters on them, all pink and girly. Earl. Ronnie. 
Then finally, at the end of the story, Ronnie is outside hanging Christmas lights while Earl pounds a placard for his daughter, the roller derby star Babe Ruthless, into his yard. Earl, Ronnie, that's a three beat. Establish, reinforce, subvert. Which is different from a parenthetical beat, which is something a screenwriter will put in a screenplay to indicate a moment of silence, usually used for humor or emphasis. Then there's the beat sheet, which is basically a rundown of the big moments in your story. A listing of anchor scenes could be a beat sheet. A listing of what happens in every scene could be a beat sheet. See what I mean? I swear to God, it's beats all the way down. But finally, let's talk about beats as we want to use them today, as in the smallest narrative unit. Narrative units work a little like Russian nesting dolls, only instead of just one doll inside each bigger doll, you might have a number of them. A sequence of beats makes up a scene. A sequence of scenes makes up an act. A sequence of acts makes up an episode. And a sequence of episodes makes up a series. If some of that feels a bit confusing, hang in there. We're going to define our terms over the next few podcast episodes, and hopefully any confusing elements will eventually become clear. Let's start defining our terms with narrative unit. To define a narrative unit, let's go back to our definition of story. Story is a series of events with meaning. So once your series of events has accomplished the intended meaning, you've got a narrative unit. At the beat level, that's pretty simple, but it can also be a little vague and confusing. Beats are too short to launch an entire conflict, escalate that conflict, and resolve that conflict, and show how the world has changed, so sometimes hard to tell what's a beat and what's not. How can we tell it has meaning? I'm going to use a sample from my latest novel, You Don't Have to Go Home. This is the novel that has been sitting on my hard drive for, like, seriously, guys, two years. One reason I'm using my work is because I have the rights to it and I don't feel like dealing with copyright claims. Another reason is that I won't have to feel bad for the writer when I criticize it, inevitably, as I always do. And also, maybe interacting with a thing will get me back into, you know, writing the thing. The struggle is real, y'all. We all go through it. For a little background, this story is about an actress named Charlotte Lottie Ship who can't get work after years of starring in a sitcom, and she comes back home to small-town Maine to cool her heels for a little while at the advice of her publicist. The central narrative conflict of the story is internal. It's famous Lottie versus hometown Lottie. She wants to continue her life as a famous actress in Los Angeles, but she also wants to repair her damaged relationships with the people she left behind in Maine, most specifically her father, Charlie. These things are mutually exclusive because she can't repair her relationships without facing reality, and her fame and Los Angeles require her to live in denial. I'm going to read the scene to you, pausing at the end of each beat. Beats will feel almost like shift changes in a manual vehicle, or subject changes in a conversation. Once they serve their purpose, once they establish their meaning, you can move on to the next one and pile them on top of each other to escalate and complicate the conflict in a particular scene. I wandered down the hallway, running my hand over the lockers. They'd been light blue in my day. Now they were a bright red, matching the school colors. The school district had apparently changed the numbering system when they'd swapped them out. But I knew my locker, my space. Two lockers down from Mr. Dennett's room, where I took all my social studies classes in high school. He'd been a good guy, Mr. Dennett. He was funny. And he was the only teacher in that school who thought I might actually make something of myself. 
He wrote the recommendation letter that got me into college. He died four years ago. I sent his widow signed DVDs of Poppy. Okay, so that's the first beat. We're seeing Lottie fighting with herself. She's reaching out, trying to touch the past, and she can't. Her favorite teacher had gotten her into college, and when he died, she sent his widow DVDs of her TV show. She can't be her actress self and still connect with her hometown self. I got to my locker and twirled the combination lock. It wasn't mine now. It belonged to some other kid. I don't know why I was surprised. It wasn't as if I'd expected they would retire it like a jersey from a star athlete who'd gone pro. It didn't matter. It was still my space. I'd owned this corner of the second floor. I'd held court here, had pretended I didn't notice and take extreme joy in the way some of the kids lowered their heads when they walked by, afraid of me and my friends because we held the power of popularity and wielded it with that particular mixture of whimsy and insecure cruelty only teenage girls can master. I had a feeling it maybe didn't say great things about me that I looked back on that with equal amounts of nostalgia and shame, but fuck it. It was high school, right? Another beat very similar to the first. Her past is gone. She can't touch it. And she can't be the TV star and the girl who lived in this town. She can't reconnect with her past. It's kind of a redundant beat to the first one, though, isn't it? Does it earn its space? That's a question I'm asking myself as a writer. Remember, this is not finished. It's still in draft mode. Two separate beats, but very similar. I'll have to think about which one to keep and which one to kill. This is where an understanding of beats can be really valuable to a writer. All right, let's keep going. Can I help you? I looked up to see a tall man with messy hair and a blue tie skewed slightly to the left, leaning against the doorway in Mr. Dennett's room. I knew that guy. At least, I thought I did. And then, it hit me. Holy shit, I said as the realization dawned. Zero? He gave a small laugh, but didn't seem that amused. I go by Henry now. Of course, I went by Henry then, too. Not that that ever stopped you. And here we have the first bit of conflict with Henry slash Zero, her high school boyfriend's younger brother, and the love interest of her story now. She is holding on to the past, calling him Zero, which conflicts with who he is in the present. Wow, I said, checking him out. His hair was still out of control, but not in an unattractive way. The color of a caramel latte, lighter and darker shades mixed together, giving him what I might generously call a disheveled charm. I reached out and messed his hair up a little more, then laughed again as he smoothed it back. It was surprisingly good to see him. So there's a beat. She's attracted to him, even though she's deliberately trying to annoy him. She's in denial about it. This is complicating our conflict. She likes him, but he doesn't seem to like her very much. Zero. I didn't think I'd ever see you again. With your grades, I thought you'd go out and do something, you know? You never did anything with your life? He seemed surprised for a moment, then gave me a smile that didn't quite reach his eyes. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, that's too bad, I said, and gave him a playful punch on the arm. I mean, I didn't go to Hollywood and become a big star, he said. I did, you know, go to college. That stung a bit, but I kept smiling. No need to be petty. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah, finished too. Graduating summa cum laude wasn't like being on the cover of Entertainment Weekly, don't get me wrong, but you know, not all of us can make something of ourselves. Some of us just have to make do with what we've got. I let out an edgy laugh. <laughs> okay, fine. I deserve that. So how is... He cut me off. I got a bachelor's in drama and then just... He shook his head and tisked regretfully. I just didn't do much with it. I toured with a theater company, traveled the country, you know, that treading water stuff all the losers end up doing. All right, Zero, I get your point. You can stop now. Hamlet, death of a salesman. I played Nathan Detroit actually in Detroit. Yeah, that was just embarrassing. I mean, I won a couple of awards, but it's no poppy, right? I should just throw them away, make room on the shelf for poppy DVDs. Saw them at Walgreens the other day. $5 a season. Hell of a deal. It was feeling significantly less good to see him now. I crossed my arms over my stomach. Are you done yet? Nope. Finally, his smile reached his eyes. He was enjoying himself now. It wasn't until I spent a summer helping a bunch of underprivileged kids from Queens put on a Midsummer's Night Dream that I really hit rock bottom. All that meaningful work was a nightmare. So I went back to school, got my master's, and well, here I am. He let out a sigh, faking shame. But enough about me. You've probably used all the time and energy you've allotted for talking about someone besides yourself. Let's talk about you, Lottie. How are you? All right, that's kind of a long beat, and that's okay. They don't all have to be super short. Too many beats with the same rhythm will start to make a scene feel staccato and boring. You want to mix it up. The meaning here is that Lottie is being condescending to Henry, and he's having none of it. She's a bit arrogant, and he's taking her down a notch. We're seeing that they're equally matched in acuity, humor, and edginess. I'm... I glanced back at my locker, feeling suddenly very small. I'm just here visiting my father. You know, family's important. Yeah, he said. So important. Crazy we never bumped into each other on all those other visits you've paid him over the years. Okay, so it was one thing to take a shot at her profession. She'd taken a shot at his. But talking about her father, her only family, that's kind of low and he knows it. He's known her since high school. He knows where her vulnerabilities lie. So Henry is nobody's punching bag. We've learned that. We also established that Lottie hasn't come back home since she left 15 years earlier. We already know this, but we're seeing the cost of it here. That's what this beat means, and it's building on the essential conflicts of the other beats, both with her overall internal central narrative conflict and with her scene-level conflict with Henry. I met his eyes and was about to tell him where he could shove his sanctimonious bullshit, but then the bell rang in the hallway filled with kids looking like ants streaming out of their little hills. I glanced at the door behind Zero. No students? I had a free period, spent it. Hey, Mr. C. An unnaturally tall student walked past and raised a hand to high-five Zero before beelining into Zero's classroom. Zero high-fived back automatically, not pausing in his speech. Grading papers, guiding the future, you know, that kind of loser stuff. I let out a rough sigh. All right, I'm sorry already. Jeez, defensive much? And that's a beat. She's giving in, he wins. Two girls called out, hi, Mr. Kaz, and Zero smiled at them, then turned cold eyes on me. 
He was obviously done messing with me, and I was a little grateful for that, but in a weird way, I'd also kind of like that he'd given me such a prodigious amount of shit. Don't get me wrong, I love the way people were insanely impressed with me for having what amounted to a lightning strike of good luck, but it would have been kind of sad if Zero hadn't been above that. I respected that he stuck to his I hate Lottie ship guns. Good for him. And here we see that she likes being challenged. She respects him for it. That beat adds a level of complexity to the conflict. They're still fighting, but she kind of likes it. You should go see Zack, Zero said out of nowhere. I think he'd be really happy to see you. My heart jumped in my chest. Wait, Zack's still in town? Yeah, he's... Zero looked genuinely confused. You didn't know? Know what? I looked around in the hallway, almost expecting to see him. Does he coach football here or something? Zero gave me a look that didn't even care enough to be cold. You really didn't look back even once, did you? Zack is the high school boyfriend, Zero's older brother. There's something we don't know about Zack yet, something that will apparently have an impact on Lottie. We get a little bit of context here that there's a shoe waiting to drop, but then we interrupt this beat to move on to the next one. Holy shit, is that Poppy? At Zero's door behind me, three girls pointed at me and giggled, one of them jumping up and down. Zero kept his eyes on me as he spoke loudly. It's no one, Ms. Jeffers, he said, then looked back at the girl. Watch your language and go sit down. Lottie's fame is still part of her experience. Henry denies her fame. To him, she's not famous Lottie. She's hometown Lottie, making this beat serve both the scene-level conflict and the central narrative conflict. Okay, Mr. Caswell, the girl said cheerfully, then wandered into the room, giggling with her friends, and suddenly I felt about as ridiculous as I must have looked. But surrounded by all these bustling kids forced to stand with Zero in the small space between the end of the lockers and his classroom door, I couldn't quite make a graceful exit. Zero, seeming to enjoy extending my awkwardness, stood next to me in that silence while we waited for things to calm down. Finally, the wildness dissipated as the students found their classrooms, and he met my eyes without a hint of a smile. Great to see you, Lottie, he lied politely. Yeah, you too, Zero. He turned his back to me. It's still Henry, he said, then went into his classroom and shut the door behind him. And the final beat, a moment of attraction combined with the continued conflict between them. Push, pull. It speaks to the romance, the conflict of the scene, and the internal conflict that Lottie's struggling with. And those are beats. The scene PDF with all the beats marked will be available in the show notes. And that's it for today. How Story Works is taking a week off, but I'll be back in two weeks with more narrative units for you. If you have questions about how story works, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at Chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider reviewing it on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with your friends on social media. The more the word gets out, the more successful the show and the more episodes I'll be able to make. The music I used under the narrative excerpts were from audionautics.com. Link is in the show notes. 
Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.